This is Werewolf the Podcast, a podcast about the role-playing game, Werewolf the Apocalypse. UtilityMuffinLabs.com is the source for podcasts like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the NerdWords Podcast, and the Playing Hooky Podcast, to name a few. We offer gaming, music, and pop culture content, as well as graphic and audio design, voice talent, and more. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com to commission us for your audio needs, digital artwork, and advertising opportunities. UtilityMuffinLabs.com, consistently rated adequate. Welcome to the latest episode of Werewolf, the podcast. Uh, all right, partners, we're going to dive in and review Werewolf, the Wild West. Uh, I am your host, Josh Heath. Um, before I dive in and introduce my co-host for today, I do want to say uh, that Becca will no longer be um, a co-host. She had some um, situations that uh, are taking up more of her time um, than she was able to devote to the podcast at the moment. Um, so sadly, we have had to say goodbye to her for now, uh, but she may be returning as a special guest. Uh, but for today, we are joined to review Werewolf of the Wild West with Charles Siegel. Charles, just say hello to everybody if you could. Hi, everyone. Charles, I had asked to help um, take a look at Werewolf of the Wild West because he was interested in uh, diving into the material a little bit, but wasn't super familiar with Werewolf. And I um, he's a mage expert, has been on Mage the Podcast, um, and I wanted to get his thoughts on a book like this that was set in a specific time frame and kind of deconstruct it together. So we're going to dive into that in a second. But before we do that, by the numbers, this book was published in 1997. Um, it is a core book, so there are a lot of people involved in it. Uh, it was designed by Justin Achille and Ethan Skemp. It was uh, developed by Ethan Skemp, and it's written by Justin Achille. Mark Angeli, Phil Brucato, Tim Bird, Jackie Casada, Ben Chessel, Richard Dansky, Ed Hall, Robert Hatch, Harry Heckle, Heather Heckle, Ian Lemke, Ed Mikio, James Moore, Nikki Rea, Ethan Skemp, and Fred Yelk. And there are too many people in the art section to name, so I'm not going to name all of them. But this is an interesting book. This is the uh, the period book for Werewolf. Vampire had the Dark Ages, Mage had the Sorcerer's Crusade, and... Uh, and Werewolf had the Wild West. So, Charles, just as an overview, what are your general thoughts of Werewolf West? I thought there were a few weird omissions, but generally it set a, it set a tone and stuck with it. Yeah, I agree. I think the book definitely had a tone that it was going for. One question I have for you that's going to seem really random. Was the copy that you uh, read PDF or did you have a physical copy of the book? Uh, PDF. The reason I ask is because the physical copy of this book is very also on theme. The uh, the paper is really thick and has a very like archaic feel to it. And there's a literal um, hole through the book that is supposed to simulate a bullet being shot through it. So on so many levels, this book definitely has a theme and seems to kind of run with it. I agree with that. From what I've seen as someone who's only seen a few werewolf books... Werewolves seem to go the extra mile on um, on atmospheric book design compared to the other games. Yeah, I agree. I think the Wild West books go a little bit further than the modern ones do, but there's definitely a sense of, hey, whatever is here is, we want you to feel like it's really something different, that you're actually in the yeah. place that uh, the story is yeah. happening. And I was thinking immediately of the Werewolf, I think, second edition cover with the, the claws dug out of it. Yeah, totally. That's a good point. Like that, that's just 
and Mage having the, uh, from addition to addition, the tarot card changing a bit is one thing, but it's not quite as visceral, which fits Werewolf so well. Agreed. What was your general feeling about the fiction that's at the beginning of the book? I actually really liked it. I'm, I tend to be a little bit down on most of the uh, fiction in World of Darkness books, partly because it just never even seems remotely like anything that happened that has ever happened in a game I've played. But I kind of got a Canterbury Tales kind of vibe from it that I, that really just worked for me in this case. Yeah, agreed. Um, one of the things I think that's interesting about the fiction is that it gives a little bit of in-world fiction, and then there's like a newspaper clipping on several of the yeah. stories that seems to give you like the ending of the story or like almost another like dispassionate view of it. And I think that's really, um, it. one, it's thematic, and two, it's really, um, it's engaging. I really enjoy the presentation of it. Yeah, I, I, for example, um, maybe if I, ha- if I had been in charge of it, I might have tried to make these the characters that were in the comic that shows up much later to introduce this, uh, how gameplay actually looks. Definitely, yeah, that would make a lot of sense. Cool. So for folks that may not know, um, this book is set um, the Wild West. It's a really amorphous term, but this book is set in the 1800s, somewhere between 18, I think it's as early as 1820s, all the way up to 1890 is where the book sort of ends um, in its timeline. Um, Charles, do you want to kind of dive in and maybe like talk about what were some of the big things that happened? during that time frame, either in the real world or in the, the werewolf storyline, that sort of bookend uh, the way the book is framed? Especially in that time and that place, the single most important event that happened between, let's call it 1820 and 1880-1890-ish, is definitely the U.S. Civil War. Mm-hmm. Some of the other big things, and one of them, this one actually, oddly, is not mentioned once in the book, was the Trail of Tears. Yeah, it's mentioned really, really obliquely at the beginning of the setting chapter, but um, yeah. but not directly. You're right. Yeah, it said something to the effect of um, like natives were moved west to the Oklahoma Territory, and like that's one way to say it. Yeah, yeah. Let's deconstruct this a little bit. Let me. I'll go on a, a little bit of a mini uh, rant in that like this book is. Uh, is written from a fairly white or um, Euro-American-centric viewpoint. They do a good job for 1997 in some ways of addressing the fact that Native Americans and African Americans and Chinese people and, you know, other uh, minority groups are involved in the West. Um, They have a whole little splat on page 37 that is like, hey, Look, like 25% of African or 25% of cowboys were African American, but at the same time, they also like step back from going as far as I would want them to. Um, like at one point, instead of calling the Native American genocide a genocide, they were like, "Well, it wasn't quite a genocide," and I'm like, "No, it, it is a genocide, and it's a genocide that is sadly still occurring." Yeah, I actually have a, have a few issues with that. I have a few notes even about that specific sidebar, number one of which is 
it is good that that sidebar is there. It is bad that most of the things that are discussed in the sidebar are only discussed in that sidebar. Yeah, with, when you could like include these elements throughout the story and have them be present and have them really be on theme, you're right. They're there in this, the, the sidebar, and then it's kind of like, we're never going to talk about these things again. One of the things that really stood out to me, knowing the sensibilities of the world of darkness and the civilized influence of sex workers, and World of Darkness books tend to go out of their way to mention sex workers. Yeah, and it I find that not fascinating in a good way, but fascinating, like, yeah. we knew in 1997 the importance of sex workers in the West and opening up the West and entrepreneurial, like, sex work. Building towns were built around them. Right, and to not have that even, like, only like obliquely mentioned is a, is definitely a big admission. I agree with you, especially considering how the world of darkness usually goes out of its way to talk about that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. The framing for the werewolves in this in this time frame are that you know European Garu obviously came soon after colonization um, and began um, taking over Cairns from um, the three quote unquote pure tribes of Garu. Will talk about the problem with that term um, more, but the Bane Tenders and the Ice Hearts had another tribe, the Croatan, that used to be based along the east coast of, of the Americas. And you get some information on them in some of the other books that we've reviewed, but you they spend a little bit more time in this talking about the after effects of that sacrifice that they supposedly made. Of course, it, it takes two tribes of werewolves to cover territory that's three, four, I, I don't know, maybe even seven times larger than Europe, which has so many more tribes of werewolves. One of the things I love about the historical settings, and this is one of the reasons why I actually have a bit of a soft spot for even the end of the world books, is that by putting the system into an extreme or different place, strange things about it stand out. Like the fact that there are two Native American tribes for all of north and mo and part of Central America, and there's two tribes for the British Isles. And maybe even three if you include, like, Bonars in there as well, which is, it, it's a bit never, much. Never seemed quite clear to me where the Bonars actually, orig actually originate, so I wasn't counting them. <laughs> That's totally fair, and it's unclear. They're, they're never really given a, the Bonars exist in this one place, so... The, and I've talked about it before on this show that the ethnic elements of Garu identity are very poorly defined. So that adds layers to some of the frustrations right. there. And I'll say as a mage person, that really stands out, out to me because of how mage is built around um, ethnic and cultural groups. Mm -hmm. What are your general thoughts on the, um, the, that element of werewolf then in this book and then just in general? What are your thoughts there? generally negative this book particularly i think like the second thing i wrote down while reading it was there is a lot of noble savage nonsense in this book and considering that the only two other werewolf books that i have that i can say i've both read and remember are werewolf 20 and apocalypse is something that the line has done better at done be seems to do better at later but not perfect with the entire framing of the americas as the pure lands run by the pure ones that have been untouched by the weaver and worm is com just completely baffling and i know that the, they're south american but if you don't think that the incans as having anything to do with the weaver or the big trade network that you know went from the northeast all the way down to the incas was in some way a, you know related to the weaver 
or that some of the terrible things that the Aztecs uh, did routinely are in any way worm-touched, then we can't really have a, an intelligent conversation about what things were like. So that's kind of some of the noble savage nonsense I mentioned. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, you look at structures like Cahokia and some of the groups in the north, or I should say in the southwest um, in North America, these are heavily... Um, almost industrialized societies. You get down into Central America and South America, you have um, what I would call like pr like just pre-industrial almost in some ways societies. These are not weaverless societies. These are people that are highly advanced. And the problem of noble, noble savagery is like throughout werewolf, but I feel like it becomes way more pronounced in an obnoxious way in this book. But also on some levels, they show some of the savagery on uh, on the European side as well. Which oh I, yeah, this book was much this book was much better than usual about talking about how the European how Europeans were terrible. But yeah, I, I looked it up, but I, like Teotihuacan was like the sixth largest city in the world, and this book is, and this book acts like there's nothing of the Weaver in the West, right? Until the Europeans show up, right? And that's insulting to natives. Uh, absolutely, it. It diminishes the complexity of uh, of native nations that there is a theory. This is going to sound totally off topic, but it's on topic. There's a theory that the mini ice age that happened in Europe um, around the Viking era was actually caused by deforestation by Native Americans in the Western Hemisphere. So to say, oh, they had no like uh, they had no weaver style like activity again like it's it's completely ridiculous. All right, let's go maybe in a different angle um, yep. from here. Um, so I'm looking through um, chapter two. We kind of as weird as it is, we sort of set the stage in chapter one. We've talked about you know what the setting is like, or at least you know what the the basic framework for this is, and then chapter two is the setting details. Um, what were your thoughts generally about setting or about chapter two and the, the setting there? So we've we've kind of been discussing it. Like chapters one and two kind of naturally run for, run into each other, and they set the overall t overall tone. Like after chapter two, quite a lot of the book is devoted to sort of the basics of running a, a World of Darkness game, the mechanics, list of powers, things of things like that. So chap chapters one and two have to do a lot of the heavy lifting of what is this and why is it different from a standard werewolf the apocalypse uh, setting? But I also have some complementary strange things like, and this is very complimentary, to, complimentary coming uh, from my point of view, that like every so often while reading it, I would read a sentence or two and just think, Sandra Bricado wrote this, didn't he? <laughs> and then I looked at the front page and saw, oh, he was one of the writers on this book. Yeah. What were some of those other things that you um, thought were complimentary? I, and some of them come down into the... The the idea that the weaver and the wild are, are or the weaver and the worm are absent is strange when they talk about things like they used a web of power to control the worm, which I really feel like a missed opportunity to, to opportunity given some of the theories about how the triac got out of balance. I, I know one of the ones that I've seen is that the weaver encased the worm in a pattern web and it went insane, and then seeing oh the quote-unquote pure ones uh, wove a web of power to control the worm in their lands feels like a really missed opportunity to do a strong comparison there. And I think that ties into some of what we were talking about before. If you yeah. if you lean into the weaver like 
elements there it's it's clear like there's some connections there and maybe it's part of why like or you could at least create a story where these are reasons why the wild has take taken over and everything else is out of balance and i would be totally up for saying that native societies were more in balance than european societies but that's very different from saying they were pure wild yeah absolutely i think that's a, a good point like you can you can live more effectively in the natural world and not be wild the way that the wild is presented in werewolf the apocalypse yeah it's it's the constant the wild equals nature and it seems like to me like nature should be gaia and gaia is usually described as sitting above the triad there was one instance in this book where it said there was the triad and then there was gaia beneath it but every other instance even this book put gaia on top yeah that goes back and forth throughout the werewolf books and it's never um, it, it literally, there will be some books that's like Gaia created the triad and then the other ones will be the triad created Gaia. And uh, I'm okay with unreliable narrator, but it also doesn't make sense that this is the central point of werewolf theology. They should have, it should be a central point and it should be at least semi agreed upon. Well, I'm going to disagree. I don't think it should be agreed upon. I think that there should be that there should be political factions based based on on whether they think that healing Gaia it, you heal Gaia by by fixing the worm, or whether you can fix the worm by healing Gaia. Mm. Okay, that's a good point. And, and I, I think that that could be an interesting source of and essentially you know you've got the you could even have it as the class a class a sort of a original religion and then you have reformers who believe that they've got it wrong if you want to cause conflict between guy and werewolves this is this is a good solid way to do it and you can critique quite a lot of aspects of modern society uh by doing it that way see that would be fascinating that would be a good like uh, if we were you know not that we are but if we were involved in werewolf fifth edition to take that angle rather than like a division in the nation from political reasons, but from theological perspectives about what and how to change the world and how to heal Gaia. I think that would be really interesting. That'd be, that'd be certainly something different um, as an angle to take uh, from the top end, at least. And it, and it would have the advantage of the inconsistencies in previous books are they're written by the, these pieces are written by one side or the other from the perspective of one side or the other which cleans up a little bit of the um, narrator-author confusion that White Wolf books have always have tended to have. Yeah, hmm, that's a good point. I want to go in a different direction uh, in that, but sort of actually tied into what we're talking about. I want to talk about the Storm Eater. Yes. And the, the Storm Eater is the meta plot reason for Werewolf the Wild West in a lot of ways. The Storm Eater is this spirit that is both a wild and weaver and worm spirit, depending on how it's written in different parts of this book and then other werewolf wild west books but it is a giant spirit that was originally locked down by the bane tender tribe and it has been released because of the actions of european garu um, and it's at the moment destroying the umbra in at least the western part of the united states so what are your thoughts about the storm eater well, i find the storm eater absolutely fascinating it, it also seems like a great um opportunity for other game lines to poke to poke their heads in so i think at one point in the book it's mentioned that the storm eater quote shreds the gauntlet and i feel like that's inviting comparisons with the reckoning piece of meta plot the avatar storm uh except for that this is a conscious directed spirit doing it rather than 
you know, a consequence of natural phenomena. So I could imagine, especially dream speakers, and I will also say this is the this is the first time I have heard of a werewolf book actually mentioning dream speakers and mentioning that werewolves could work with them. Sure. So that's a big point in its favor for me. But especially dream speakers could find lore uh, referencing uh, the thing what the what the gauntlet was like when Stormeter was active and see and seeing a comparison with what happened after uh, two th- after two thousand. Definitely. I think that's sadly like a plot that gets dropped from the later books after this comes out. And it it like it gets mentioned, I remember once in a later um, werewolf book, but it's like the Storm Eater is such a good crossover story for lots of reasons. And I agree with you, like bring this into the future, at least attach it to what's happening at the end times and let people like... talk about it at least it was a huge make, make it a yeah make it a forerunner of the of the end like apocalypse didn't mention storm eater once i know this because it's one of the two werewolf books i've actually read recently right and Which, that's a shame it, it is it because it's such a central point to not even like just barely over 100 years ago 150 years ago um depending on when your apocalypse is set like so central to like this should be something talked about and engaged with from the material, from the modern day perspective. Especially with how much discussion in that book there is of the Croaton and Eater of Souls. Yep, exactly. Which, uh, right. and Eater, Eater of Souls is coming back in the in the in Apocalypse. Well, if that's the case, then the Storm Eater probably and the Croaton, like that should be linked up. All that should be linked up. It, it would be easy to make it a, make it sort of an accelerating march to the, to the end of say, a thousand years ago, there had was when they bound the storm eater or something. Then 150 years ago, the storm eater got there. 500 years ago, the um, eater of souls was banished. Hmm. 150 years ago, storm eater returned and had to be defeated. And now look what's happening. Right. Look right. at that cadence. This is not a good pattern. Right. Uh, it, things are happening quicker and quicker. The worms creations are breaking out more often and more often. And what does that pretend for the future? The end. It should be the end. So I want to digress just for a second to say I ran a, um, a Wild West LARP back in the early 2000s. It only ran for three games, sadly. But we had 150 players um, at the apex of our third session when the game collapsed. And the Storm Eater was a major element of our plot, um, as well as this sense of like there are um, horrible creatures like entering the world from the Umbra. Um it was one of the best LARPs I've ever run. Um, it had every genre of, uh, of being within it. We had a demon player. We had several changeling players. Um, we had players playing uh, Kui Jin. Um, and though there's some issues with that name, the Kindred of the East, at least. Um, we had then the players playing those characters um, were actually connected um, with Asian societies. We had a couple of players that were Chinese uh, American and Japanese American. And they're like, we really like these character ideas and we want to play them. And I was, I, I thought that was amazing. And I thought they gave like a really good balance to the diversity of the setting by being present for that, um, which I really was happy about. Um, so that's a random digression, but I think the storm eater as like the plot point for the wild west um, definitely uh, is an important thing to dig into. 
Did you have any other thoughts on the other antagonists that are listed in this section? The Enlightened Society of the Weeping Moon, and they're mentioned like one or two other times, but it seems to be a threat that they didn't really develop much, at least in this book. Yeah, they didn't, sadly, in this book. They do in the Storyteller's Guide for the Werewolf, uh, for Werewolf the Wild West. Um, they become sort of like the central villain, like or the central human side villain of the uh, of the setting. Um, but yeah, they're just kind of dropped as an idea here, um, for good and bad at that, I think. Yeah. And the other thing that really stood out to me in the sort of antagonist general area was that, as I said, I'm a mage player. I have kind of the out, I have this outsider view of werewolf and a lot of the stereotypes that are associated with werewolf are things that I have not seen challenged seriously. But this book's um, the worm corruption, the, wor- the little bit on worm corruption is two thirds of a column. But it feels like it came right out of the nefandic sections of the Book of Badness or Infernalism, Path of Screams. It really added a lot of depth to how I see the Black Spiral dancers. Agreed. I think this does a really good job of what whole books um, sometimes fail to get at. And it is very, very good on page 62. So um, it's and you're right, it's three paragraphs about worm corruption, but it uh, presents it in a really thematic and engaging way. Yeah, like sometimes you only need three paragraphs to get the point to get the point across. Uh, and these three paragraphs are very strong. Definitely. So let's move into uh, chapter three, storytelling. Um, I think the this chapter does a decent job of giving a storyteller the tools to run games in the Wild West. Um, it does run into some of those issues we mentioned before where it almost uh, ignores some of the um, some of the truths of the setting that it talks about in, in chapter one and chapter two. But what are your overall thoughts of uh, of this as a storytelling chapter? It was solid. The um, like I think it did a decent job writing up things like the themes and moods that they recommend. The conflict section was no- was nice, being very speci- very specific. Though some kind of felt a little bit like a cop, like a cop out, like Garu versus Ma- versus Mages section, basically just says, yeah, Mages are kind of weird. We have no idea. They can be anything, and where and werewolves don't see any, di- and most werewolves don't see any difference at all between them, and. I can't imagine werewolves not making a differentiation in, let's say, the, in the Wild West era between the late Order of Reason and the Dream Speakers. Right. They're, they're going to be completely different um, groups just immediately and not even like getting into like the difference between, say, the Order of Hermes and um, the, uh, well, I, they would be the Technocratic Union at the end of this century. Um, yeah. yeah, it's to not yeah, have but, that be engaged with is ridiculous. Yeah, what, one of the um, points of interface that I could see if I was running a crossover Wild West game, and I have played in a Mage Wild West game a couple of times, uh, is that this era includes the defection of the of the Sons of Ether, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm looking forward to hearing more to seeing more about in a Victorian Mage, which is supposedly going to be a worldwide source book, so should have some overlap with this book. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that book. Um, the work on from the writers that I'm aware of working on it um, is top-notch, so I can only imagine it's going to be fantastic. Um, I, I want to pull out, because I agree with you, that this establishing conflict section is really, really good. 
Um, particularly, I like the section on Garu versus Storm Eater here. But again, like for me, yeah. everything that ties into that plot, I really like from these books. Um, and I think they've got good Garu versus Garu, Garu uh, even versus Fey, and Native versus Wormcomer, which are the European werewolves. Um, yeah, but those those were all those were all strong. Yeah, I, I'm in agreement with you. Everything everything about every time they talk about Storm Eater, my interest goes up. My interest level just goes through the roof. Yeah. I want to know more. Yes. Um, the interesting thing here um, is there's a book that comes out that's a werewolf wraith crossover, and it's the only werewolf wraith crossover book I'm aware of called um, um, Ghost Towns um, for the Wild West. Um, and I actually think that book is terrible, and I'll talk about it more when I review that book, but um, I don't think they do enough of like linking that into what might be happening with a storm eater. Um, and that's kind of my only like frustration with it in this book. So beyond that, let's talk generally about mechanics and things like that. Um, these mechanics, they are second edition-ish, um, but you can see that there's some, um, some linkages that happen between second edition and revised that's coming out in a couple of years from here. Um, they were clearly like thinking ahead to what they would adjust in the system, but mechanically, what are your thoughts about Werewolf in general? Um, and about the mechanics as they're presented in this uh, in this chapter four rule section. So I, I don't know the I don't know the werewolf second edition mecha mechanics, so I can't compare and contrast very much. I know I only know werewolf twenty for werewolf. Sure. Um, and from that perspective, uh, though a lot of the, I, the the mechanics seemed mostly in line with uh, what I know from second edition made for the uh, storyteller system. Um, I, I like that there were specific rules for for uh, like there's a little uh, section bullseyes, which is very thematic. Uh, like there's a, there there are some very thematic rules. There's like talk about sections seemed very. It seemed mostly standard to me, to me. Like nothing stood out greatly as different from what I was expect as from what I was kind of expecting in a second edition book. Jumped out at me was one thing that I that I've learned in all my years of STing is that the importance of something in a game often has less to do with the sheer power that it gives and more to do with how with how many options it gives to players because options are more value are more valuable than almost anything else looking at just the first level gifts um, you know in the big list I see that breed has two first level gifts tribe has two first level gifts and auspice has three first level gifts whereas in werewolf 20 is three three and three which jumped out out at me as saying oh well, auspice is more important in this section uh compared to the to other aspects of identity than it is later agreed what's interesting um and when you mentioned that to me you mentioned that to me um in a chat prior to recording i was it really got me thinking about werewolf in general and actually auspice is the central point of identity for werewolf the apocalypse and it's true in this book, and I think it's actually true in other books as well, but, but they spend a lot more writing focusing on the tribal differences and things like that. But what a Ragabash does, day, nightly to nightly, is different than what an Arun will do night to night. And from a mechanical point, when you mention like there are more options per each auspice, it's like, well, if that's like your job, if that's the thing you do every day, 
of course, those, that's the thing you're going to have yeah. more utility with. It's one of those places where there's a subtle mechanical thing that pushes you in a certain direction that really ties into the themes of the game, and I really like it. Agreed. Like it's not an in-your-face mechanic of, it's not them saying, auspice is the most important thing, it has to be, and if you think tribe is more important, you're wrong. It's saying, you're going to realize that auspice is more important because you're going to realize that more of your powers come from your auspice, that more, that more of how you operate day-to-day -day comes from your auspice, and that your tribe colors your auspice. I, I agree with that, and it's interesting, after having read and, and run so many werewolf games, to, to think back on the fact that that was like the undertow of identity that people were linking into, but not always super intentionally like people would talk about oh i have this awesome fiana character oh yeah they're a galliard but like their galliardness really defined how they were playing the character much more than their fiana-ness which i think is a it's a fascinating sort of when you get into the layering of, of identity sorts of yeah uh, of i'm actually willing to bet that if i went through the book again having this in mind because I didn't. I didn't notice this until chapter six. I, I bet I would find a bunch of other subtle places where the mechanics, you know, idly push you in that direction. And in many ways, I think it's better when it's an indicator of good writing when people are pushed in the right direction and don't realize they're being pushed in that direction. Yeah, agreed, a hundred percent. What were your general thoughts though um, about the tribes? Do you have any um, any thoughts on the tribes in here or just in general that? Uh, come to mind beyond um, maybe the ones we already talked about the issues with the, the pure ones and the worm comers and those elements and i've got a continued confusion about how the bunyip are even a tri are a tribe of garu <laughs> uh but the nuisa aren't yeah um, uh but but that but that's a little bit um tangential considering that uh no bunyip ever stood ever set foot in the wild west according to the book yeah why even mention them if you're going to tell us that and then like, this is the only era they could actually show up because they're still around and then just be like, yeah, yeah, but they don't exist. Yeah. I, in general, I, we discussed that there seems to be a disparity between European tribes and, West, and, and uh, Western Hemisphere tribes. And to me, it gets the point of, I feel like there should be a lot more tribes or at least have been a lot more tribes and maybe there aren't any more and if the Bunyip are a tribe, what other Canids could be tribe could be tribes? Are there because there's Canids all over the world, even if there's not Canis lupus. Yeah, and that would be that would be fascinating if they were, and it would add a lot to the world if they're like, oh yeah, there were a lot more werewolf tribes. We killed off a lot of them for one reason or another, or they got like they joined up in coalitions, and those coalitions are what you see in the um, in the Bane Tenders and the well, Ice Hearts and the Americas. Like well, that could be cool. Especially throw in the fact that um, nation building through uh, coalitions of different of different groups was a common thing in the West in pre-Columbian America. Yeah, exactly. It like what who we view as the Aztec are actually something like seventeen different um, nations that the as uh, the uh, and I'm, I don't actually remember the um, correct name for them, but one of the groups that we call the Aztecs was just the ruling class of all of these other nations that were in an alliance with one another or this sort of like colonial oppressive alliance. So yes, um, before I go off on a rant on that, um, absolutely. Yeah. And then you've got the uh, the six nations in the, in uh, what's now upstate New York. Mm -hmm. 
it, it was coming from you know northern northern North America all the way down to it to uh, at least the Incas. I don't know much about um, non-Peruvian na- uh, natives in South America, to be honest. Uh, but the Inca, but the but the Inca, but the Incans were also uh, an empire that started out as many different. Um, you know, ethnic groups with related religions that eventually came together through a combination of alliances and conquests, and, and basically the same as Britain. Right, exactly. Or, um, or Germany, or there's so many other places There's in the Germany world. at this point. Yeah, exactly. There's, I think what we're saying is there could be a whole lot more depth and time spent in, in the native nations in, if, in a book like this that I wish they spent time doing. And they don't. Um, but that is what it is, perhaps. There, there seems to be this idea that these um, historical setting books were going to be actually taken as complete standalones, and I don't know how how much that's actually true. To a point, I think that they could that they could have gotten away with saying, uh, for mecha- for mechanics, this requires Werewolf the Apocalypse Second Edition, and we will put in a small mechanics section for things that are specific to the setting. And then they'd have like 150 more pages that they could spend on setting specific uh, information. Yeah. Um, and they learned that eventually to do that. Um, but at the time, I think purchasing made it appear that people only wanted to buy a core book. And they did. People bought core books with full rules way more often than they did a book that needed another book to play. Yeah. My, my question ends up being how many people who had never played Werewolf bought Werewolf the Wild West. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think if you ask for my like conversations with some people at White Wolf, they would tell you more than you think, but even more than I think could be like not that many people. So it's a good wow. question. Like more than I think would be like five. Right. <laughs> I was going to say 10. So <laughs> we're I somewhere think, around. Because I, I think one, and that person probably went out and bought Werewolf the Apocalypse to figure out what was going on because... There's definitely a, f- I couldn't put my finger on quite where they are, but there's definitely a few places where this book is unclear and Werewolf the Apocalypse makes it make sense. Yeah, yeah, that's I true. I would want to have read this without having read Werewolf 20. Right, I, I don't, and I don't know if you could read this and understand everything that's going on without being at least tangentially familiar with the setting. And once you're in that space, you can go all the way and you can put, and you can just cram everything you want into the book and, and leave out you know, basic mechanics and put them elsewhere. They could say, like, maybe it's not, like, maybe it's not essential that it have another, yet another description of what the alertness talent does. <laughs> right. But it'd be really nice to get information about maybe any specific Native American tribe. Yeah. Yeah, that would be, it would be beneficial because even at this time, the Ice Heart and the Bane Tender tribe books had not come out yet. Because those tribe books hadn't even come out at this point, having more on them here would have been super, super helpful. Um, and they come out, I think the first one comes at the end of this year, 1997. But still, it would have just been helpful to have something to dig into. Chapter 7, though, this, which is called The Storm Umbra. Um, I think this chapter is amazing. Yes. Um, and... Uh, I think people that have already listened know why, but what are your thoughts about this chapter? What are the certain, what are the things that you kind of pull out from it? My thought is I would desperately love to play a European mage encountering this and having no idea why it's this way. Mm -hmm. 
Like, like that could be an entire chronicle. Just figure out that storm eater is a thing from like a hermetic point of view. I've got so many ideas for stories, and it's kind of a shame that I don't have time to run any of them right now. Uh, that is the bane of every storyteller, I think, uh, who who comes up with seventeen more plots than they'll ever be able to run in a in, in a year. You know what I mean? Right. It took me it took me almost a year and a half of, of uh, setup and contrivance to move my to move my um, players to from the 21st century to the fifth to the 16th century so I could run some sorcerer's crusade at them. <laughs> sure. Like I I don't think I have the energy to get them to the Wild West too. <laughs> yeah, it would add some extra complexity complexity to try to um, hey let's shoehorn another era, like time frame into this story. There's only so many times you can find excuses for Wrinkle to ask mages a favor. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, but either way, I, I have enough ideas that, uh, especially once Victorian Mage comes out, I'm going to be releasing some stuff in this era and in this setting for the vault. For the vault. Some of it will, will almost certainly be Werewolf Mage crossover about the Storm Umbra. Awesome. Um, yeah, I just finished up running uh, a ma- uh, semi. It was mostly mage-focused crossover Victorian-era game. And while that was set in London, I absolutely think like some of these elements are going to influence the uh, the, the write-up that I do for the vault for that story um, because we ran it as a playtest. So I'm now turning that playtest into, uh, into a book, and I'm excited to see what it looks like when it's done. Um, I want to drill into one section of this that I, beyond the storm eater itself and all of the like great elements that that provides in here, there's also the broken lands. And this is, uh, I don't remember this yet in any of the other um, future books, but there is this, um, these times where the umbral, uh, where the gauntlet actually disappears on earth and places in the real world become a, like umbral um, at the same time, like they exist coterminously between both places. And I love this because I love that sort of like slip into the horror sort of thing uh, that you can do. And I, uh, this idea of the broken lands is one of the ones that I'm like, I, I, I use this already having it in a book and knowing like probably this is where I got it from um, is super, super helpful. Yeah. The broken lands, Again, it, it's a thing that I have just you. I've just used something similar to this because uh, in in Mage, the idea that oh, shallowings just kind of happen sometimes, uh, and that's just a place where the gauntlet has dropped has dropped completely, and just any idiot can walk across can walk across this uh, from the Umbra to the physical world, and guarantee you, some idiot in the area has. <laughs> yeah, that is uh, that is a great way of putting it. It's completely accurate. There is a comic that describes play that starts around page 262, which I think is really, really interesting. And I kind of wish they would use a format like this, um, not necessarily exactly like this, but to do this in the future. Because I think it's really, um, it evokes the story really, really well. And is uh, it made it easier to understand how some of the rules worked. And I even knew how the rules worked already. But it was helpful just to have them here and be like, oh, yeah, now I understand what this does and, and why it does what it does. I'm super jealous of the amount of comic book stuff in um, Werewolf, by the way. Yeah, it's the only thing that, that Mage is missing. I don't, I, think, I don't think there are any, are there, in any of the Mage books? No, but there was one across four issues of White Wolf magazine. Mm. 
Yeah, um, having that really would be something that would be amazing for someone to get a license with White Wolf with right now as a mage comic series. But oh yeah, um, who knows if that will ever happen? If it does, it will be amazing. Um, overall, Charles, how many um, how many whiskey bottles out of ten would you give Werewolf the Wild West? I'm gonna go with seven. Okay. It, was be- it was better than you know. It was, it's better than a toss-up, but there are some very very big things that it could do to improve. And one of those things is another editing past. Yeah, agreed. Um, I think this book has so much potential. Seven out of ten whiskey bottles definitely is where I would put it. It evokes the setting really, really well. Um, the book is, the physical book is um, something you could hand a player and almost feel like they're getting an old book. Um and I think that adds a lot to it. Um, but there are problems. And I don't think those problems are would make me tell you not to buy it, especially since it's a used book at this point. Um, but if we were ever to see a revised version of it, I would want them to address those things um, uh, a lot more. Um, and I don't think we're ever going to see that. But if we were to, um, I'd want them to spend some more time with it. Alert to vault authors. Yeah, well... <clears throat> there may be a Wild West project. Actually, I think I can announce this. There is a, uh, a project that I've been uh, a little bit involved in called Vampire of the Wild West, which is uh, designed to work with the 20th anniversary vampire rules and should be coming out uh, hopefully in the next uh, six months or so, probably a little bit before that. We're, all, we're done with the main text. Um, we're just doing some editing um, and layout at the moment. So we'll see what happens with it. Okay. Um, This has been Werewolf the Podcast. Uh, Thank you, Charles, for being with us. And if uh, folks would like to check out his work on the Storyteller's Vault, I definitely recommend you do so. Um, He's written some amazing books that I think you should pick up. Yes. The music provided in this episode is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech Music. You can find his work by Googling Incompetech or Kevin McLeod. Thank you for listening to another episode of Werewolf the Podcast. You can become a patron of Werewolf the Podcast via High Level Games at our Patreon at High Level Games. You can learn more about High Level Games at highlevelgames.ca or by Googling us. Thank you for listening.